Hi, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, good things can happen. And as we're all learning, when you vote, crazy things can happen. I'm Mira Davis, radio and TV host. I've got one shot under my belt, and I'm ready to rock. And I'm Jen Jordan, and I am fully vaccinated. Woot, woot. Congratulations. Thank you. It actually is pretty incredible. I have a few days to go, and I'm pretty fired up. But it's really weird. Like, I started to put restaurant apps back on my phone. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Right? I I haven't used Open Table or Resi in in a year. Well, no, I'm like thinking, oh, I want to go get some new makeup or something or new clothes because actually going out and seeing people, yeah, yeah. It feels like we're kind of on the precipice of it's going to be a new normal, but man, it just feels so good. I'm so glad you brought that up because now I can tell you this. So Jen invited me to the Capitol the very end of session out of nowhere. And when I do get a text from Jen, I jump and just, you know, comply. And she was like, you should come to the Capitol today. And I'm like, what's my call time? (laughs) (laughs) So... I went down there and talking about socializing and I'll get into, you know, what you showed me and my impression of everything, but it was the first time I was just meeting people for the first time. Yeah. It's a little off-putting, right? I didn't know whether to shake people's hands. We were wearing a mask. I have to tell you where normally I thrive in that sort of environment, but I felt very awkward. I could tell. It was kind of interesting because usually, you you know, your personality, you're very extroverted. You really are very kind of interactive with people normally. And I could almost see you kind of recede a little bit. And so I was like, huh. I was (laughs) like, what's going on with Mara? Well, there's two reasons for that. Uh, Oh, three. One, emerging back into society. Two, I'm wearing a mask. So it's, 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 and it's harder. And everybody's wearing a mask. Three, I'm always afraid to say something dumb, you know, or like something that's just inappropriate because you're a state senator and I'm just like a hobo running around there. And so I am like, I want to choose my words very carefully, but it was a little odd. But Jen gave me the most magnificent tour. And thank you so much for that. What a spectacular building the Capitol is. I was really blown away. It's one of those things where I think school children get the opportunity and go, but no one else really just says, you know what, I think I want to go down to the Capitol. And they should. It really is a beautiful building and the grounds are just incredible. And it's so old. You walk in and you really get the sense of history. It can be really overwhelming. Well, I got a couple takeaways from being the building. Number one was Seeing the uh, photos of like all the people that had been there in years past and the paintings and stuff. Not a lot of diversity. (laughs) Well, not only that, but there was like one, like where it just showed the state Senate from year to year and year to year. And I picked up on that immediately. I'm like, I don't see any ladies here (laughs) at all. Not one. Everybody looks like my grandfather. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it, it made me excited to see people like you and, and so many other, other great women that are, are representing in the building as they were changing that. No, it is. It's, it's where you're talking about is the Annie room of the Senate. And we have these composites every year that are done. And so in the Annie room, they have all the old composites hanging up. And it 
it is really, really interesting. And every time I go in there and kind of look, it actually makes me feel good because we have made so much progress. Even since I got elected in 17, we've elected so many more women and it is definitely making a difference. And then I got to see where you yield the well. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to also take more pictures and do more stuff, but I was trying to play it cool. Then I saw your beautiful office and I noticed something and I felt like I had a one-up on some of the rhetoric that's been going on, which we're going to talk about is you were like, oh, would you like a soft drink? Because I didn't say soft drink. Okay. 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 Come on. (laughs) Well, you had a variety of soft drinks. There was water. But, but there what was, do we call everything in Do you Georgia? want a Coke? Absolutely. And you were like, oh, because we get it for free from Coke. Absolutely. And they do it as a service because not only for staff that work at the Capitol or, or the electives, but also for constituents. Because, you know, people come in, you give them a drink, give them a Coke and a smile. It's great, right? Coke is it. Hey, and that wasn't the only thing. You, the, everybody had their welcome mats, which were provided by Dalton, Georgia, the cap- right. carpet the, the capital. carpet capital of the world. So just to mention that, that the Coca-Cola products being in the Capitol building wasn't unique to a product that was sort of, you know, had a presence. No, and it, it really is for everyone that's visiting. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like like a gratuity or, or something that's that's being given specifically to you know, electeds, it really is a service to us so that we can actually provide it to the people that come visit, like you. And I did, and your office is beautiful. And while all of this was going on, of course, Georgia is still in the white hot zone of politics. And I don't think this is going anywhere soon. So since we've recorded last, it's been a minute, it was announced that obviously... The law passed. We talked about it on the on the SB202 passed. We talked about it last episode. A lot of fiery rhetoric after that. A lot of crazy stuff. Corporations started speaking out. You had said that it was a little too late, but better than nothing. But the biggest story was Major League Baseball deciding the All-Star game wasn't going to happen at Truist Field in Cobb County. You represent... I do. That I represent area. that area. So walk me through your reaction to when when you heard about that. What what did you think? And did you have any advance warning? You know, I didn't have any advance warning. I was a little surprised. And the reason I was surprised is because the MLB is not known kind of for its political forwardness, I would say. They have tended to stay out of things in the past. I mean, you've seen the NFL do some stuff or, or NFL players or NBA, but the MLB usually kind of plays it a little bit more conservatively. So I was surprised about that. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you, I, I felt very, I don't know, conflicted about it because part of me was like, oh, I don't want, you know, I don't want the community to lose out on revenue, um, you know, because that matters to me. It does. It has an impact kind of at the lowest level in terms of the workers who have minimum wage jobs, who are hourly. Those workers tend to be impacted the most when those things happen. So that never makes me feel good. But at the same time, I think it really caught people's attention and um, and really put a bright light on the issue here. And I think that's significant and important that 
you know, if MLB is willing to do that, the, the very, the sports league that's kind of considered conservative, that they're willing to kind of highlight, underscore, and say, we're not going to put up with this, that really should get some people's attention. Well, what also got people's attention was the Braves kind of put out, they put out a statement that was well-received by some people, not well-received by others. It wasn't great for me because I felt they kind of played the victim a little bit in it. And they didn't really make an effort, in my view, to promote voting rights or to do anything. I mean, I particularly remember leading up to the 2020 election, this was a big initiative for you to open up Truist Park, to make it a polling place. You were lobbying for it. You were trying to get them to get more involved. And that really didn't happen. So I don't know what the Braves as an organization has actually done to promote voting and voting rights for Georgians. You know, I don't really think they've done much. I mean, we really did push. It was a big thing that me and a couple of other representatives, Representative Terry Anelowitz and Representative Eric Allen, who represent that area or portions of that area, really did make a push to have the Braves open up the battery in that area to have it be an advanced voting site because what a great thing. And we were thinking it would be great for them too because, you know, everything had been shut down. And so that would bring foot traffic into the battery for those restaurants or for the various stores. So I always looked at it as kind of a win-win kind of thing, right? It's a great PR thing for them too. They chose not to do it for whatever reason. And I think it was a real lost opportunity and and then kind of the statement they made where they said some stuff about supporting voting, but it was very kind of lukewarmish. The way I look at it is I want to give them the opportunity to do better. <laughs> you right. Know? That was my feeling on it. It was just like, you know, you saw Mercedes-Benz Stadium open up for voting. You saw State Farm Arena. State Farm single-handedly is one of the best things that happened during this election cycle. So they had a big opportunity to do that. And it just seemed, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. And now, obviously, a lot of big decisions went into this Major League Baseball, moving the All-Star game into Colorado, into Denver. And then now everybody seems to be, Jen, cherry-picking parts of the law to suit their own narrative. And I kind of feel like, okay, maybe there's like a good point here, a good point there. And we're going to talk about that a little bit with our guests. But at the end of the day, it's a law that was built on a lie. Yes. The end. Absolutely. And that's what people need to understand. Look, part of this almost 100-page bill includes one of my bills. One of the things that I passed out of the Senate in terms of a reform with respect to the process, you know, that we needed. That was needed for the local elections officials. That is a good part of the bill, partly because it was mine, but whatever. Of course, you know. the best part. The best the part. The only good part. Right. Well, you know. <laughs> but what we have to go back to is why did this come about in the first place? What's the origin of this? What is the intent behind it? And even provisions that may look neutral on its face how could they be used in a way to kind of push somebody's partisan agenda? And, you know, when you kind of look at it from that frame, it's like this wasn't needed. And the only reason we did it is a reaction uh, to the fact that Donald Trump lost. 
that is really, really concerning. Well, and then the uh, this the cancel culture part of it is really the stuff that that fascinates me. And people like uh, Mitch McConnell saying, oh, corporations shouldn't get involved in politics, which to me is an LOL to the max because it's like, oh, Republicans, you don't want corporations, corporate being involved in politics. Speaking, even though they were the ones who did <laughs> Citizens United, which okay. says that corporations have a First Amendment right to speech because it meant they got more money from them. And so now you have Coke people wanting to boycott Coke. That's why I want to bring up the Coke, because there were certain lawmakers in the Capitol who had decided and put out a letter saying they were no longer going to carry Coke in the in the state house because they didn't like their position on the voting rights law. <laughs> and we know I learned from visiting you that they get it for free. So ultimately, they now are charging their taxpayers to... to well, who, who even knows? <laughs> like, that was such performative muckety-muck. Come on. It's the cancel culture stuff. And I've been listening to research about cancel culture, and it just goes to show that Media isn't real life, and people don't really care about that. This is just a drumming up thing for show content. So it's like we're in this very, very weird zone. And with the law, uh, as far as it seems like a big thing that keeps coming up is the, oh, you can't bring water to people online. We discussed that last time. And then Governor Kemp said something on an interview with Newsmax, I believe, saying that you could just order Uber Eats. Centers. People can bring their own water, their own food. That's accurate, right? Yeah, absolutely. They can order a pizza. They can order Grubhub or Uber Eats. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't understand. What's interesting, though, is that you can't because the law specifically says any person. And so it's one of those where if I was standing in line for a long time and I called my husband, to come bring me water or whatever, a strict reading of the law would mean that he could not come and bring it to me. That's what's problematic about when you push through a law that basically upends our entire election code. And maybe you think it means one thing, but it actually means another. And so, you know, this whole refrain that Republicans have had about read the bill, mm -hmm. I'm like, give me a break. I was like, I will put my money on who read that bill and who didn't. And it ain't the Republicans. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I didn't read it because I just, if I have a question, I just call you. <laughs> Happy to field all yes. questions. Well, there's a lot of nitty gritty in that law. I read some of it. And by the way, I would, there is an explainer in the New York Times that I did read that I thought was excellent. And it just basically cherry picked a lot of the different things in the bill and the argument of people in Colorado where the all-star game is, they don't have as many early in-person days seems like a lot of BS because they all get absentee ballots anyway. It's an all-mail-in state, basically. So, and there there have been a lot of things like that, um, and but we can't forget. I just, to me, it's like, you know, this wasn't needed. This is all based on a big lie. And that's all you have to say, because it's one of these where you're like, you can spin all you want. You can try to say one thing's good or another thing is good, or maybe something isn't as bad. But at the end of the day, when you actually look at why it was passed, the intent behind it, you absolutely cannot justify its existence. Well, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan uh, said he's not going to run 
again. And um, he's been like, what a, what a wishy-washy position he's taking. He basically came out and said all of this election nonsense, all of this stuff basically came out of your little COVID fest that you and Senator Parent had when Giuliani came to town. He said that's really where, uh, like, was ground zero for this. Yeah, the state Senate that he presides over. So I'm kind of like, all right, buddy. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> and? <laughs> but yet he went ahead with the law when he could have stopped it. Yes. There were procedural things that he could have done. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess he's maybe stepping down and saying, all right, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to give talks. I'm going to make a living somewhere else. Or run for something else. Or is he going to run for Senate? I don't think so. I mean, I think, um, look, I think where the Republican Party in Georgia is right now, it is so closely aligned with Donald Trump that if if you are not, then you can kiss it goodbye, right? My guess is he's a young guy. He'll probably kind of step away maybe from political office for a while, probably will stay in the mix, right? And in two years plus cycle, one cycle, two cycle, whatever, when kind of the 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 stain mm-hmm. <laughs> of of Trump is kind of gone, or at least the significance or the relevance of of him on the Georgia GOP is gone. You know, I would not be surprised to see a reemergence um, from Jeff Duncan. I think Georgia is kind of an illustration of what's wrong nationally with the GOP. We've spent the entire legislative session basically passing a 100-page law intended to restrict ballot access, ultimately. And when we're in the middle of a pandemic, right, when people are hurting economically, when we have rural hospitals closing, when we aren't doing the kinds of things we need to be doing, like expanding Medicaid, trying to reduce maternal mortality, we've got some really big issues in this state that we need to be tackling. And instead, what do we do? We basically, you know, spend all of our legislative days and all of our legislative kind of energy to get this bill over the line. And it seems all in service to Donald Trump and his supporters, who, by the way, didn't didn't even like it. Georgia politics is going to remain very, very interesting. Okay, I know. I think the national media just can't quit us right now. It's the voter podcast, Jen. Oh, of course. I mean, we're really doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we want to dive deep into the law with one of our early guests on this show. And when it comes to constitutional law, he's the expert. Uh, So let's get right to that. I like to call this next guest a friend of the show because he was on, uh, gosh, when we were first talking about recounts and election. Remember that? When they were recounting and they were recounting again and there were lawsuits and here we are again. Talking about Georgia election law, Anthony Michael Kreese is a law professor at Georgia State University, constitutional law. He's like the man when it comes to that. Like everybody goes to him, civil rights, legislation, law, social change. And I think the greatest Twitter feed ever. Anthony Michael, great to have you on. Well, thanks for having me, y'all. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're excited. I mean, because this stuff's kind of complicated and can get kind of boring, So it's good to have an expert of your caliber with us. But you also like talk about fun things too, which we'll get to (laughs) later. But I want to get right to the law. 
And I am very curious about the there. I I believe there have been five lawsuits against SB two hundred two that have been filed. Where are we going from here? What does that mean? What's next? Yeah, so it's kind of a mess right now. So you know, I I think there's a few things that we need to think about. So. One is litigation and the other is legislation. So on the litigation front, we have all these claims. I think the the big thing for folks to know is, uh, you know, bringing these kinds of election law claims or voting rights claims under the Constitution are kind of difficult because one thing that's really important to have to show, which is the hurdle for all of these, these groups, I think, is intentional discrimination. So, so if a state does something and it has a disparate impact and disproportionately harms a racial minority or some other group, that's not generally enough to bring a constitutional claim. You have to show that there was some either, you know, absolute intent to harm or that the legislation was crafted uh, in order to specifically have a disparate impact, right? So, I think that's really the big question here is all, you know, all these different provisions, you know, in terms of, of, you know, shortening the runoff period and, and creating these additional requirements for the IDs and the like, you know, why did legislators do this? And I think, right, the, the bottom line is we should have, you know, and by we, I mean, Georgia, you know, the Georgia body politic as a whole should have just took taken a Secretary Ravensburger's word word for it that the election in November and the subsequent runoff in January were were secure, they were fair, and they were transparent. And Georgia is the has the gold standard of no absentee voting, uh, lots of early voting, and and that's right. That should have been the end of the story. But what we have here is an entire piece of legislation which has been motivated by the big lie of unsubstantiated claims and disproven claims of voter fraud. Much of it is embedded in racist and racial identity politics. And and I think that the real question is, is are courts going to take the kind of papered over, uh, nicely presented arguments about election integrity that are being used in order to support and to justify the bill? Or are courts going to peel back the layers of the onion and say, oh no, what's really going on here is that there was a multiracial democracy that challenged the status quo. And as a consequence, the you know, election procedures were rolled back in such a way that we find uh, as a society to be unconstitutional and you know, condemnable. And so that's really, I think, where we're at on the litigation front. And I think you hit it on the head specifically when you're talking about intent, right? Because when you read the bill, it, it's it's neutral in terms of race. I mean, it doesn't say we want less black and brown people to vote. Ergo, this is what we're going to do. And, and that's what is super, super hard about these cases. Because I think we kind of all know what's up you know, and why this happened and why it was being pushed. But at the end of the day, you have to have evidence. And it and it really has to rise to a certain level that a federal court is willing to step in and invalidate a state's law with respect to elections because the states are tasked with running elections and, and doing elections law. So that is a really big ask of a federal court by anybody. And especially kind of in this context, when we have kind of a a neutral seeming law on its face. So does that mean at this point, and I'll ask this to both of you, is this like 
So are these lawsuits will just lose hope? It is what it is, and it's a done deal. I don't think so. So let me let me use North Carolina as a as a good example. So North Carolina, when the GOP took over in 2010, was the first time Republicans had you know you know after Pat McCrory became governor in I guess it was 2012. It's the first time that the GOP had a majority and controlled all branches of government in North Carolina. And they engaged in very aggressive voter ID requirements. They engaged in very aggressive gerrymandering efforts. They did a lot of things to revise election law in North Carolina, which was really, you know, had the the purpose, intent, and effect of harming uh, non-white voters. And, you know, the courts, I think, for the most part, when, when did a pretty good job. Um, and identifying the fact that the that the North Carolina General Assembly, with surgical precision, was going after black and brown voters, essentially. You know, the, the thing, here's the thing. I, you know, I come here with a legal history background and a, and a deep understanding of both historically how these things have happened, right? And by these things, I mean uh, descri- facially neutral but discriminatory uh, voting laws and regulations, and also kind of with a broader understanding of where the last, where this has come from as an outgrowth of perhaps the last 10 years of, you know, the politics of racial grievance. And I think the question is, do courts take all of that evidence, you know, in its totality to really understand the, the his, like kind of where we, where this fits in history uh, both modern and in the longer arc of history. And if they do, I think courts will be able to unearth and 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 mine what's really happening and and maybe a, take some aggressive action towards you know the the bill and and strike down some of its provisions. Now, if courts don't take that history, if they don't take the the lessons of American politics into account and seriously, and if they try to put on their blinders and just look at the, the four corners of the text of the law, then we are going to have a problem in terms of litigating against it. So I think it's really just a matter of kind of the luck of the draw. What judges are you going to get? How far up the, the, you know, the judicial chain is this going to go? And at every, at every step, you know, how seriously are they going to take these kind of broader social, political, and economic arguments. Yeah, and I think just because something's hard doesn't mean you don't do it, right? And look, one of the the better things that came out of 2018 and some of the tactics, the voter suppression tactics that, that were kind of in play or in place for that election, there were a lot of lawsuits that were filed or that came out of that election. And so you say, okay, well, what did that do one way or the other? Well, one of the biggest things it did is it made sure that there was a federal judge always looking over the shoulder of the Republicans who were doing election administration. I mean, look, everybody lauds Secretary of State Raffensperger, but let me tell you something. The reason he's done a lot of what he's done is because he's had a federal court. He's been under basically the thumb of federal court judges watching every step of the way. And so a lot of these cases with respect to that, as they work their way through the process in the next year or two, they're going to have federal judges watching. What I mean by that is the GOP, the people who are pushing these provisions, the people who administer elections, they are going to have a federal judge watching them every step of the way. And and what that means is that it's going to be much harder to kind of monkey around 
the way you want to monkey around. And hopefully that gets us to 22 and we'll have a new governor. Well, let's shift to the Fulton County District Attorney and the case. And, uh, you know, obviously Trump making that phone call that's on tape as far as trying to find the over 11,000 votes. Is that case? Anthony, what do you think is going on with that? I'm just curious to know your thoughts on where that's going. Uh, one word, drama. Uh, that's that's what's coming our way. You know, I... I um, when the the call first came out, I thought, well, this is this has a high degree of probability that it could be chargeable as a criminal matter, and right, just looking at the text of Georgia Code and all the rest. But I did not think that there was going to be the political capital or will to pursue it. That to me changed on January sixth. You know, once once that the insurrection happened. You know, it it no longer became a, you know, kind of this hypothetical of Donald Trump has undermined democracy and Donald Trump is undermining the legitimacy of the American democratic experiment. He became a clear and present danger to the constitutional order. And when you do that and you foment that kind of violence, there needs to be consequences. And so I suddenly kind of reversed course in terms of what I thought, you know, as a prediction, what would happen. And I think what's happening now is you see, because there is that will to potentially prosecute, there's an investigation happening, I think. And um, so I think that's what's happening now. There's a, there's a, there's a, you know, there, there's a prosecute or there's an investigation uh, that is turning over all the stones and I think we're going to see some charges at some point if, if I had to put my money on it. Yeah. And to kind of link it back to the SB202 thing, too, you know, what's been interesting is that the Republicans seem to have been taken aback by the MLB's response to 202 and, and Coke and Delta and some of these other corporations. Like, they just can't believe it, right? It's like, oh, come on, give me a break. It's not that bad. It's almost like we've done a lot worse in the past and <laughs> never said anything, right? But I think what uh, Anthony Michael was talking about is true. All of this is in the context of January 6th, right? Right. And what we're talking about is we saw someone who was willing to foment rebellion and basically just completely destroy our democracy. I mean, that's what he wanted to do. I mean, we know that. And so in light of January 6th, the gravity of all this stuff, it's its not playing around anymore. It's like when you're doing this stuff, you are pushing kind of that agenda and that viewpoint. And, and so corporations or these businesses that we're talking about, I don't think they've got a choice. I mean, we're talking about the future of our country. Really? Well, one takeaway from all of this is both of you, uh, Anthony, Michael, and Jen, right now, like, you're in the moment. Lawyers are hot. I don't know if I'd go that far, Meryl. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll take it. Yeah. I mean, no, I will say George is great for full, like, full employment right now for election lawyers. So, you know, I'll give, I'll give Governor Kemp that much credit. <laughs> Right. It, I mean, there has been a boom in, in one sector of the economy. That's what right? I mean. Yeah. I mean, and I've noticed you, um, and it's Anthony M. Kreese, K-R-E-I-S on Twitter. I have noticed that your Twitter account, which, by the way, everybody should follow Anthony because I 
I, I have a Twitter crush on you. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, but like, even like, didn't Andy Cohen retweet you or something? Like, hasn't he been up in your DMs? Oh, sure. And and well, last night, John Cusack retweeted me. And I was like, oh, okay, now you're just cool. bragging. Ah, right? I, I was just like, oh, hey there. <laughs> But no, I, I I do I do have some interesting followers. So yeah, it's a it's it's a fun time. I mean, I, I bet you never expected like to be on that level. So so like, oh wow, this Georgia stuff is just is so interesting, and I don't think it's going away. I mean, and Jen and I have talked about this over and over and over again behind the scenes about like how we're gonna develop the podcast, and it just all goes back to voting. No, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, who knew when we started this that we would be ground zero kind of for voting, elections law, all that kind of stuff. I mean, we are, I think I said it earlier, we we are kind of illustrating kind of the bigger passion play that's going on nationally. Like we're, we're kind of in Georgia, we're kind of a microcosm of that. And that's why people are so fascinated. Anthony. That's, let me, let me just say that's, that's precisely right, I think. So, you know, for, for like, you know, y'all follow me on Twitter. So you see, hear me talk about like this third reconstruction all the time. And I think what we're seeing is a, a broad, multi-generational realignment of political factions and political interests. And, and it's going to have a long-term impact on the American, you know, body politic in the way that the election in 1980 and 1932 did. And I think you're, you're absolutely spot on, Jen, that that what's going on here is that Georgia is the microcosm of that change, right? Georgia encapsulates what's happening or what is about to happen, I think, in other places. Texas is not all that far away you know, from maybe where Georgia is today. North Carolina's got some work. Virginia was just a few years maybe ahead of where Georgia is. Um, and so I think people are just kind of starting to realize that there are these broader demographic and ideological shifts and we're on a kind of like the train has kind of left the station and folks are starting to realize and wake up to that and they're going to resist that. And that's what's happened in Georgia. And on the other hand, you're going to have folks who are going to be, you know, stomping on the accelerator. And that's also what's happening in Georgia. And so that's I think that's exactly why we're in that, that kind of you know, spotlight. And I think the only people that seem to be surprised by all this are really Georgia Republicans. I mean, they are they are just dumbfounded. They're like, but why? I, I, see, here's why I, I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> Let me, you know, I'm not, listen, now I, I, you know, I know I'm an academic and I try to be, you know, when I do in my analysis and I'm not really here to give the GOP advice because not my people, but, you know, I, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, we, we were talking about this when Michelle Nunn was running initially against David Perdue, although I thought, I thought in that election, we would see a little bit more progress than what we did, but we were already talking about way back then, right? Was that 2014? about how the demographics were headed in one direction. Suburban Atlanta was growing. You know, some of these bigger kind of shifts were on the way. And so, like, that was not new. I mean, they certainly got, a you know, a warning in 2018 on numerous levels, I would have thought. You know, so I, I'm, I just don't understand, you know, I just don't understand why, uh, you know, or I guess the other one I would say was, like, North Carolina, right? Like, Pat McCrory tried to pull the same stuff that Brian Kemp's trying to pull right now. This kind of like anti-big business because of a you know pushback against social legislation, basically. Pat McCrory did not win re-election, did not work out for him. So why would you repeat the same patterns which have already been proven in a similarly situated state to not work? So I, 
I think that's why we're seeing these election bills, right? Because there's an unwillingness to grapple with reality. There's an unwillingness to moderate the opinions of the party in order to to actually become more competitive and maybe more appealing to the, the average voter. And that spells like that spells coalitional collapse. So if they want to do that, more power to them because that'll make me happy. But I don't understand anybody who's working within the operation, you know, doesn't take a serious look at things and say, this ain't going to work. I pose this question to both of you, and we can kind of wrap up with this, with with all of these laws, uh, because I've heard, you know, or, or, or the new law, rather, and, and exactly what you were talking about, Anthony. Um, a lot of people's view that, you know, the, the Major League Baseball pulling out and boycotts and this and that cancel culture is giving Brian Camp red meat. Uh, towards his election in 2022, I kind of feel like we're like a hundred cancel cultures away from like, you know, pe- people have a very short attention span. But do you think that, is this working for or against? As in like, are Democrats more motivated now because they feel oppressed? Or is this actually working for Republicans to feel like, you know what, you know, this is the kick in the ass we need? Well, I, I think what's happening is you're just energizing everybody. Yeah. And and so and I think the MLB stuff in particular, no one's going to remember a year from now unless it like, you know, spirals out and and multiple things get canceled. You know, events like like what happened in North Carolina. I don't I don't think people are going to, you know, remember this particular thing. But, you know, the bottom line is I think everybody, you know, who's got two neurons firing realizes what's happening in the next year and a half or so. Right, we're going to have a, probably going to have a Brian Kemp and a Stacey Abrams rematch, and a lot of competitive down ballot races. And so, what people are anticipating is that they're going to be hard fought, and that both bases are going to be energized. And so, they're just throwing everything into you know everything and anything they can throw you know a fire on and take advantage of. They're going to um, whether it actually will have an impact on the election or not. So, basically, will this particular instance matter? No. But are we, should we like, you know, gird your loins and get ready for, you know, almost two years of this over and over and over again? Yeah, I would probably think so. You know, gird your loins. <laughs> That's such a, a, a great phrase. I mean, you know, look, I think one of the things in terms of what happened after MLB and, and Kemp and all them took it as an opportunity to, to talk about council culture and the like or whatever and, and how their voices are being silenced, Silence, which I is am. crazy. It's like every constitutional <laughs> officer in Georgia who the most powerful people in this state at a press conference with every reporter in the National state. National television. Right, right there <laughs> in their face. My voice is being silenced. And they are, you know, they are the victims. But whatever, let's keep moving. The, the deal is I think he may have gotten a little bit of a, of a bump, right? And he was like on Fox, I know at least 14 or 15 times talking about it. But man... When Trump came back and basically slapped him down again, like any benefit he got from being strong man or whatever, it just totally, totally went away. What's that song? Never, ever, ever, ever going to get back together. Oh, what, Taylor, what is that? The yeah, Taylor the Taylor Swift. Swift. <laughs> That's all I can think about with Trump and Kemp. I mean, so, you know, I, I think that any benefit's been short-lived because of his issue with Trump. That, that, that's ultimately what's going to What's going to get him? You know, I, I just don't understand why, you know, everybody knows who Donald Trump is. Nothing's going to appease him. So, you know, 
I don't know. That's that was a, that's another calculus I still don't understand. But well, I have a feeling that this is not going to be the last time we're going to talk to you. And now I have your phone number, so. Uh, uh, okay. uh, uh. <laughs> so, Anthony Michael Kreese, it's it's so nice to talk to you, and um, congratulations on your success and on your future endeavors. And um, we really appreciate you giving us the insight into all the laws and everything that's to come. So we'll talk to you again soon for sure. Happy to do it, and always always glad to be uh, be a friend of the podcast. All right. I just hope that we're, you and I are never breaking up. Oh, we won't. We won't. <laughs> I want to pivot off one thing you said. By the way, thanks. Anthony's so awesome. Isn't he? He's yeah. great. Yeah. I like never thought I would be so into a constitutional law professor <laughs> in my life. But he's just like, I feel like I, I get him and he gets me and we've never even met. It's just like a Well, Twitter. he's one of our Twitter friends, I right? I know. And we like DM each other and it's just so weird. The past year, like you and I met on Twitter. So it's, right. it's, we've got all of these Twitter friends that wouldn't have happened but for the pandemic. So there are there are some good things. So one thing you, y'all were talking about reminded me of there's this show on Netflix called Death to 2020. And it's talking about conservative cancel culture and when you were talking about Brian Kemp at the State House making a statement, it just reminded me of this. Look, the fact which doesn't care about your feelings is that online and in the media, conservative voices are being silenced. I've said this before. I said it on my YouTube channel. Conservative voices are being silenced. I said it on Joe Rogan. Conservative voices are being silenced. On the Jordan Peterson Kayak podcast. Conservative voices are being silenced. I said it on Tucker Carlson. And Tucker, we know conservative voices are being silenced. Twice, actually. Like I said last time, Tucker, conservative voices are being silenced. That is exactly right. And I said it in my New York Times bestseller. Conservative voices are being silenced. It's a point I have to make over and over because conservative voices are being silenced. In fact, you won't even use this footage. Actually, we will. Bob, we both know that's not going to happen. Yeah, my name is James. Whatever, Bob. This is my favorite because it is so true. There are there have never been as many conservative news outlets that, you know, if you look 10 years ago, maybe you had Fox News, but now you have OANN, you have Newsmax. Newsmax. You have, and you also have Ben Shapiro podcast and YouTube show. You have uh, Megyn Kelly. You have, you, you have a lot of conservative platforms to, to visit and push your ideas. No, there are tons out there. So the whole idea that they're being silenced um, especially, like I said, we saw uh, the governor on Fox News no less than 15 times. I mean, it's like, come on, you're not being silent. Uh, he, I, to, to, to his credit, he, ha- d- he does go on Channel 2 a lot, WSB. He seems to have a relationship with them. He se- I mean, that seems to be like his, his outlet of choice. He goes on there a lot. But I mean, I think, you know, this is what we've been talking about. I think... It was very easy for someone like Trump to just yell and complain. But I think we're in a whole new lane now. You've got to take some risks and go on different outlets, just like the way Pete Buttigieg goes on Fox News all the time. Yeah, he's like a master class in how to how to handle yourself. But I think you're like that, too. Oh, I wish. I wish. But he's he's really good. For anybody who wants to see how to do it in a way that's respectful, but also 
absolutely getting your point across in a very clear way. You know, you should see the the Buddha Judge clips. Well, nobody's voice is being silenced as far as I'm concerned. I feel like if anything, it, you know, we have two men. Everything now. it's like shut up, (laughs) you know? (laughs) There's just, it's too much noise sometimes. Yes, okay. Uh, Well, we covered a lot today. Jen, anything you want to announce today? Actually, there is something I want to announce today. I'm going to run for Attorney General in 2022. Oh! I'm so excited to hear you say that out loud. I know, I know. It's been, you know, been thinking about it for a while and really feel kind of called and called to service here. Um, so, you know, and plus they're they're passing so many bad laws that the people of this state seem to need a new lawyer. <laughs> Me too. I'm so excited for you to say this publicly. What made you decide that you wanted to do this? I mean, this is a big deal. This is going to be a year and a half of, of your life now that you're dedicating to this. What clicked? You know, it was kind of a series of things. Probably the first dealt with HB 481. When you see all these constitutional laws that are being passed, clearly unconstitutional laws. And the deal is with the attorney general. The attorney general can decline to defend a law. And of course, Chris Carr jumped right in there, right? So I remember writing a letter to him asking for his legal opinion as to the constitutionality. And he basically just told me to pound sand. So that kind of started it. And then all along the way, we've had those issues. I mean, when sterogenics, the issue there with the ethylene oxide being released into the air, one of the only people who could have stepped in and actually shut the plant down was the attorney general. And again, he chose to do nothing. And um, that seems to be basically his calling card. So Apart from the fact that the people of this state need someone to protect them, that's one thing. And, and then the second thing, they don't need somebody whose who's main purpose seems to be partisan in nature. I mean, he is the head of the Republican Attorney General's Association, which was part of funding the insurrection on January 6th and, and trying to raise money from it. So wherever you look, whether it's positive in terms of of helping the people of Georgia or or just trying to hold him accountable for doing some really bad stuff, I mean, he needs to go. And so I hope I'm the person to make that happen. Do you know that my head is going to explode right now? I'm so excited. I know I can't show it. I'm trying to make it cool. (laughs) But that is the first time I've ever heard you just kind of give a small part of your platform and I know we're friends, but I'm just so honored to know you. And anybody listening Aww. who doesn't know Jen is that this is the real deal. This is something that you believe in your heart and soul. This is somebody that reads the <laughs> reads the bill. <laughs> yes. This is somebody who is willing to cross the aisle with the other side. This is a woman who is willing to have those tough conversations. And I believe in this so much for you. And I just, I'm so excited and honored and want to do everything I can. And and um, so listen, what's the website? People, if you're listening, can just... Website, <laughs> Jen, the number four, GA.com, <laughs> at Senator Jen on Twitter. Facebook.com slash Gen4GA. I mean, we are out there. You can find us. And, um, and of course, we're going to keep doing this pod. Which I can't even believe it because every time I leave, I'm like, Jen, if you're going to get too busy, I understand. I, you know, I, literally every week I give you an out because I feel so honored to be able to ha- ask these questions, 
have this time with you and and know like what's in your future. This is very exciting. So there's obviously going to be a primary. I know it's hard for me to like not kiss your ass right now. I'll be <laughs> so excited, but. There's going to be a primary and then, you know, so you've got a lot of work to do. No, we've got a lot of work. But look, I be, I'm a believer in primaries because I think that it just makes you better. There is the the phrase that I've used before, which is uh, still sharpen still, you know, kind of like you're sitting there and you're you're just sharpening, getting ready for, for the big battle, which will be the general next November. All right. Well, next week on our next podcast, I kind of want to lay to you like a interview with you as far as like so much of that. I mean, we're still going to talk about all the other stuff. I mean, we... Of course. It can't just be a campaign ad no, every no, show. No, no, no. I, think, <laughs> I think maybe our, our <laughs> listeners wouldn't appreciate it. There's so many levels of excitement. Just seeing more women running for office and all the women that you've inspired to run for office and all of those women that come back and that have been on this podcast saying, thank you for encouraging me. And and so I think you're going to inspire a lot of women and, and yeah, Georgia needs a lawyer and you're that lawyer. Absolutely. All right, everybody. There's a lot we're going to be covering in the next couple of weeks. Watch this space. Uh, I, I, I'm sort of speechless. You're like hitting the red button. Let's wrap <laughs> this up. Okay. Thanks, Christina Loringer, for editing. Thanks to everybody for listening. Listen, uh, follow at Senator Jen. I mean, it's still going to say Senator John on Twitter. Listen, I'm going to be Senator Jen until I'm Attorney General Jen. Okay. So. Fair enough. Um, you can follow me at Mara Davis. Please leave a comment and a rating on our podcast. You can email us at voteherpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. I'm very overwhelmed. I've been waiting every week to say, got anything to announce? And <laughs> today's the day. Congratulations. Oh, thank oh, you. I mean, on this part. <laughs> <laughs>